You're about to listen to a Second City Works presentation brought to you in partnership with WGN Radio. Subscribe on your favorite podcast streaming platform or listen on WGNRadio.com and be sure to share. The Second City is back open for live shows, classes, and customized corporate workshops and events. But we also have all those things available in virtual formats. For more information, go to secondcity.com. The Second City is excited to work with Amazon as part of their new and exciting app called AMP. AMP is a home where anyone can create live radio-style shows alongside some of the biggest names in the entertainment industry, including ours. Join the Second City live every Thursday at 5 p.m. Central Time for our show, Second City Public Radio. SCPR is an interactive weekly lampoon of all things public radio. Each week, our host and an ever-expanding panel of Second City characters open up the lines to listeners from around the U.S. to ask questions and offer us opinions on a slew of wide-reaching subjects. Download the app, and don't forget to tune in. AMP. Thursdays at 5 p.m. Central Time. My guest today on the pod is Becky Blades, who is an entrepreneur, writer, artist, and creative strategist. She wrote and illustrated the best-selling book, Do Your Laundry or You'll Die Alone, Advice Your Mom Would Give You If She Thought You Were Listening. And she has a new book. It's called Start More Than You Can Finish, A Creative Permission Slip to Unleash Your Best Ideas. Enjoy the pod. The Second City is a world-famous comedy theater, and it got so famous because it has produced generation after generation of comedy superstars. That didn't happen by magic. Second City's improvisational pedagogy fuels great performance, and the same practices that made stars of everyone from Bill Murray to Tina Fey can be applied for success offstage, at work, at home, and in the world. I'm Kelly Leonard, Executive Director of Insights and Applied Improvisation at The Second City. This podcast is about collaborative conversations, seeking connections, and finding a better way. This is getting the yes and. Days can be counted by the money spent. Today was just another better left unsaid. Days can be counted by the time to rent. Tomorrow is just another like the one that comes next. The corner of the highway that leads to the job at the desk by the boss with the Becky Blades, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Uh, When I started reading your new book, I kept thinking to myself that she's going to talk about improvisation at some point. Uh, (laughs) And what I didn't realize is that you would end up talking about my friends who are in the troupe Baby Wants Candy, which is actually now playing at Donnie Skybox Theater at the Second City on a weekly basis here. Um, uh, By the way, I once brought a prominent New York-based booking agent to see them, and his chief concern in taking them on as a client is that they were so good. No one would believe they were actually improvising. Oh my <laughs> gosh. I love that. I know. So tell us, tell us a little bit about what, why they're in, you're in, uh, they're in your book. Well, like you said, the first time I saw it, well, the first time I see any improv, I look for the smoke and mirrors because, or, or, you know, the, the lines and the cheat sheets, but um because it's so not something I could do mm. musical improv is that on steroids? I mean, right. the musicians. So the first musical improv I saw was Baby Wants Candy in Edinburgh at the Fringe. And these were people who I met before and I knew they actually, you know, had skin and bones. And, right. and, and it's miraculous the first time. And then when you see them do it again, 
Um, same performers uh, just inhabit all different characters and you see them play off of each other. It's just, you know, business should be like that. Life should right. be like that. Right. And I, I just had to talk to them and, you know, I'd, I've read some books about improv. Yes. And I, you know, I get it, but I had to dig into that, that starting spirit because we, most people have such a hard time facing the blank page, the blank stage once That's right. <laughs> um, that this was just a muscle I was curious about. Yeah. I think the way that, you know, my experience in, in improvisation is number one, you have to remove judgment of self and judgment of others. Mm. That alone is a kind of superpower that I yeah. think is all over your book. It is the thing you are talking about constantly. Oh, I didn't ever, you know, I never said it like that. Yeah. I think it's underneath <laughs> a lot of that. It's about, mm-hmm. it's about getting past, you talk about getting past fear. Um, yeah. and you talk, you talk about just doing it and like, and those are all things that ultimately as human beings, probably the biggest thing standing in our way is fear of failure, fear of shame. And that, and that's, and that, that's our self-judgment and judgment of others. And, and, and it's a really, it's a powerful thing. And I think it's the reason so many people study improv, not looking to get on Saturday Night Live, but something's missing in their life. And then they're like, oh, yeah. this, this might be it. Yes. And you know, what you've just made me realize for the first time is that therein lies the joy that starting and creativity gives us because it's probably the only thing that takes us out of that self-judgment, self-criticism. And you just have to be so all in to pay attention to others, to respond to them. That is, you know, I never thought about it that way. (laughs) Thanks, Kelly. Sure. Uh, All right. So the first line in the introduction to your book is, quote, the people who raised you thought they were doing the right thing, end quote. I think generally true, but tell us why you start with that line. Well, I think the title of the book is start more than you can finish. So clearly I'm taking a little pot shot at those, you know, themes of parenting that try to keep kids safe, but all the things that our parents told us about not taking on more than we could chew, not, not starting more than we could finish was not effective in making us finish. It was very effective and not making us start or take risks. Um, so they really thought they were keeping us safe, but they were keeping us um, limited and prisoners of ourselves. I think that's why. I mean, I think that's this, certainly in parenting and, and also in school. You know, we're we're uh, I, we just interviewed uh, uh, Don Pandya, who's this Hindu uh, ex Hindu monk, and he talks about when were we ever taught to focus. We're told mm-hmm. to focus, but like we aren't uh. given opportunities to do that. And then what we know scientifically now about people learn uh, really well while moving. And what do we do to our kids is we make them sit, sit still. Mm-hmm. Oh, boy. Yep. Yep. So, and an ADD kid. Um, oh, yeah. Good luck. Yeah. And, and, and uh, you know, there's certainly a spectrum for that anyway. Um, you have a really lovely, um, some very lovely writing. And I want to read it right now. Quote, we are not the sum of our failures and missed opportunities or our unfinished work. Uh, we are the sum of our imaginings we ignite our, and our ideas acted upon. We are the curiosities we chase and the potential that they illuminate in us. We are the sum of our starts. That's beautiful. That's really beautiful. And, and so 
and I think yeah, I think you you go into poetry because it's something you so firmly believe and want others to believe as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if if they, I hate that I have to convince people, but you know, it's one of those things uh, that you just have to experience. And the starting, you know, we have to trust ourselves and trust the first step, um, and we trust everything else and. In business, particularly, we are judged on finishes, whether or not those finishes uh, are the best at the time that they are finished, whether they would be decisions you'd make again. I mean, uh, you know, it takes courage to, to go upstairs and say, you know, this project we started six months ago, it's obsolete and it's on my plate. But I'm going to have to say we should pull the plug on this because in somebody's book, it's going to be notched as a failure, regardless of how much they learned, regardless of, um, you know, what it saved the company by accepting the loss. So and that wasn't the beautiful. (laughs) I took a poetry and made it about business. But um, (laughs) (laughs) but those things speak that that they speak to each other. They need to speak to each other, you know, because we are. I mean, I, you know, I produced theater for the first, uh, you know, 27 years of my career and not everything's going to be a hit. And in fact, I talk way more about my fiascos and failures because they're better stories, um, <laughs> but, but, but I learned something from them, you know, and, and so the classic example is I got the rights, uh, the stage rights for the hockey movie Slapshot, thought we'd do it up in uh-huh. Toronto because Canada loves hockey. And like, no one came because women buy theater tickets and we were doing a theater piece and uh-huh. like complete fiasco. But it, may, it made me sort of realize like, I'm not going to lean into sports when I do theater anymore. And I, I didn't mm-hmm. and had many successes afterwards. But, you know, you as you point out too, uh, uh, you're fit, you know, you start something, you stop it. That's fine. Because mm-hmm. the important thing is you might pick up on that thread in another way. Right, right. And you know something... So important. If think of all the reasons there are to stop something or pause something or not finish. Um, the, I would like to look back at my life and remember that, hey, I had this great idea for a self ironing blouse and I did all these things rather than to say, um, I had these ideas and I they didn't pan out or I. Or rather than I had these ideas and I never even tried um, because, as, as you probably learned in theater, the best things I ever did started as something else. And if somebody would have asked me on the day I started them what I was doing, they would not recognize the end product. And I'm proud of the way I started and I'm proud of the finish, but you know, they call us wacky if we have too many plates spinning at the same time, or if we start something new while we're not finished with the thing before. So that's the culture I think needs to change. Um, it's, you know, we need to honor the starts and the courage to act on an idea, capture the idea and find a first step. Somebody else, I mean, I always dreamt of a company where Somebody could start something and I could just hand it off. I could do the part that I like to do. Yeah. And then I decide all businesses like that. And that's why the last business I sold was my last one. They all grow up to be HR companies for, you know, 
mm-hmm. for, mm-hmm. for me. Um, or, you know, I'm doing HR and finance when I started business to do fun client projects. I want to talk a bit about your, in the chapter you call the parts of our starts. You say starting is a skill and like any other skill, it can be learned, practiced and mastered. And you have four parts. You have imagine, think, decide and act. So let's talk through a little bit of what that means to you. Okay. Well, imagining is where the idea is born and we should do more of that. We should imagine bigger and more often uh, of a future state and what it might be. Thinking is what I think the people who start the best do the least of, because thinking is pulling that imagining down to reality and saying, what will this take? How will it change my life? Will it be worth it? And uh, as humans, we're programmed to look for problems. We're programmed to, uh, you know, avoid risk. So in overthinking is where imaginings die. Decide is, um, I don't think people decide not to act on their ideas so much as they decide not to decide. So for all of us, I think we have to make a decision um, that we're going to decide on the side of, um, you know, X, Y, Z. I mean, I have a contract with myself and it changes as I age. Now I'm pretty much retired. It's not about the money at all. Um, but when I was raising my family, yes, I would say yes to things that didn't take too much time from the family, didn't take too much from the bank account. So a decision, if we make it once that we're going to say yes and take something this far, then we've decided. And then finally, act fast. Mm-hmm. The cool thing about this is it maps really nicely onto how we create our shows at Second City over a 12-week period. Because we start with nothing. We start with nothing. There's a director, and there's six cast members, a musical director, and a stage manager. And we have a two acts of scripted content, the last show, and uh-huh. the third act, which is our improv set. And so when we start rehearsals, we start talking about things we might want to do. We use that improv set to get suggestions from the audience, start creating material. And uh, when a scene uh, sort of comes alive and looks like it's it's getting in good shape, it'll go into the regular show. We'll throw out one of the old pieces, put in that, and then we'll keep that. Pro- that's an iterative process. And the first four weeks is the yes and part. Like we try everything. We try every mm. idea. Mm. And then as it gets, we start to near uh, 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 the, the finish line is when we're we're actually doing a lot of no. We're like, cut it down, edit it, make sure, put get everything in the right order. But it's it's kind of combining a lot of these things that, that happen in real time as we mm-hmm. move forward to then open something that when this secondary process is, is done well, I can guarantee you it's funny. If it's yeah. also art, that's what I'd like. But I guarantee you it's funny because it's been tested in front of an audience. And so it, and it requires this sort of level of fearlessness upon the improvisers. Um, uh, it, but makes them also be, they have to complete and, mm. and, and they, and they do it as a group. Uh, so I think it's just, I think we're very lucky in that you can be plopped into a system that's going to do a lot of that work for you. Mm. Uh, and as individual creators, what you're offering them is like, you gotta, you've gotta, think about these things yourself because you're, you're your own worst enemy mm-hmm. in terms of, 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 you know, not starting something again. Right. And and what I noticed about improvisers is, you know, those, those four things are steps. You, some people would call them steps. Of course, uh, improvisers do them all at once. You know, yeah. we, Oh, I decided this. So I better go imagine something to say next. And I, um, you know, they aren't, um, 
in order and they aren't singular there it's like long-term multitasking um and some people that aren't creative just can't get their heads around that or they don't want to call themselves we're all creative anyway <laughs> well you and you say in the book that the stages of creation are not linear it never yeah. is right? You're, right you're getting you're thrown an obstacle you're thrown a pivot and and you're I, I think the thing I really like about your book is you, you give a lot of examples of like this. Yeah. So make the pivot until you hit, you know, whatever roadblock you hit. And that's fine. If you hit the roadblock, you hit the roadblock. Yeah. Yeah. And then if that's when you say it's not a good idea, um, so be it. But in the course of a lifetime, what I realized that I've gone back enough to find that very little, no creativity is wasted. And that's, you know, that's another thing that cr- you you have to get only by creating is this sense of of preciousness with your time. Now, I have this about cooking. I I love good food, but I don't cook because it seems like so time consuming. I could make a painting in the time that it takes me to make good food and then it's it's gone. Um, now, wow. that's not a good attitude. Right. But, um like I like my art to be permanent. Maybe you can feel that way about performative art because it's, you know, it's in the ether. I'm not a performer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But- and I'm, I'm not either. It's funny. My, my wife, who's a teacher and a director is also a fantastic cook. Mm. And, wow. it's, 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 it, and she puts her level of attention very much in a similar way across those domains. Mm. Um, one thing I did, it's speaking of performance, um, uh, you know, one of the things I've often said is like people who are doing startups could learn a lot by putting on a show um, because you, you kind of have to do everything. And you, uh, your child put on a show and then you put on a show. Can you talk about that? this? Yeah, this was uh, maybe in what's going to come up in another section. Uh, the question you asked me before the show. Um, but yes, my oldest was that kid you know, the first kid raised by parents who waited too long. So we gave her way too much attention and she thought she could rule the world. And she certainly thought she could play Annie. And since there was, uh, you know, after they sang it on the karaoke a thousand times, it was our generation's frozen. If, if you know what I mean by that, it's, it's the musical that all parents were sick of. And she said, mom, I want to, I want to be an Annie. And I said, well, there isn't, there aren't any shows, but you could definitely be Annie. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't remember when I said that, but the next thing we knew we had Phillips backyard theater. She was Annie. All of her friends came and with a karaoke, um, we charged a quarter. um, And what, you know, and when she was 22 or, or you know, just, I might, it might've been a great in graduation. I said, tell me, cause I'm writing this memoir of that show. Why, what made you, what, what, what were you thinking about? Yeah. I guess I was kind of interviewing her for this chapter. Like, tell me what went through your mind. She said, I don't know. All I knew is I wanted to be Annie and um, she never, and she still doesn't. She, she never thinks about why not. She just, and I, I mean, she just almost doesn't remember anything. You know, do you remember any obstacles? No, I, I wanted to be Annie. Wow. <laughs> With an audience. So. And then that, that, and then later you talk about like, you actually ended up putting on a show. Yes. That's what, if you, uh, if you ask me 
when I put yes and into my life, yep. uh, there was a year uh, towards the end of writing this book. Is this going to be your yes and story? Yes, yes, yes. You want to set it up differently? <laughs> no, no, no. It's fine. Go ahead and tell your yes and story now. We can, we, we, we can keep going. Okay. Here's my yes and story. Uh, my daughter invited me to New York for Mother's Day to be in a comedy show uh, of her and her friends. They had a, they have a comedy troupe called A Great Week for Women. And it's mostly comedy writers. They do their readings. So it's not stand-up. It's just really readings, all women. Uh, she called and said, yeah, mom, you should come do this. You just write something and read it. You don't have to perform. I said, okay. Um, we're all asking our moms. Well, I show up. I'm the only mom who said yes. <laughs> I uh, am not a humor writer, but I can't, I can do anything given enough time. So I had something written. I offered my meager material to her and she said, yeah, mom, that's not what we're doing. <laughs> so <laughs> by that night, I kind of had to recraft something, but oh my gosh, I loved it. I just, they were really nice to me because I, I'm a boomer and they were all 30 and nice, but it yeah. was such a cool experience. I live in Kansas city. We don't have those kinds of venues. It was in the back of this. It was in the back of a bar. The only hard thing was they had Game of Thrones stuck on a big screen TV and they couldn't turn it off because right. <laughs> it was the, it was the last night of Game of Thrones and they, they didn't want to turn it off lest it not turn back on. Anyway, um, I was just so proud of myself. And then, you know, I did what um, middle-aged women do. I posted on Facebook about my big victory mm -hmm. and people at home said, oh my gosh, you should do it in Kansas city. Where's the tape, you know, uh, do a show. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it was a year that I had proclaimed my just say yes year, because yeah. just say yes to starting something. And my rule was if it was a, if somebody encouraged me to do it, suggested I do it, and there wasn't a good reason not to do it, I would do it. So I tried to get together um, other women writers. There were not, there are not many female comedy writers in Kansas City. So then I followed my husband to a um, open mic night, which is a terrible thing to do. Mm -hmm. And, to, you know, <laughs> to try to find a woman or two. So I I, you know, harvested a woman or two to, um, you know, round out the show. Um, I couldn't control how vulgar they were because mm -hmm. that's, I guess, just a thing. Um, but anyway, I sold out the comedy club. It was just, there was such a pent up appetite for women laughing with women instead of right. at them. And right. then I actually am going to make it a thing. But right after that COVID hit, and I had just gotten a great logo <laughs> mm. branding, but it was such a great experience for me. I am seated. I did not, I read my little piece, but um, it's, you know, for this old gal who's a writer and then would rather spend all my time in my studio, not talking to people, uh, putting me on a stage and having me like it was a big victory. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the, the, you know, I think we all tend to, we don't, we regret, we, sorry, we regret the things we don't do, I think, more than the things we do. 
Yeah. Um, Yes. And, you know, and we had on uh, Dan Pink talking about this in terms of his his last book and and understanding. I think when we understand that um, and believe it, it pushes us maybe to go outside our comfort zone, which is exactly what you did. Yeah. And for creators, you know, and, and he says this, too, and he was kind enough to be interviewed for my book and with creativity, even more, even I think even more than other things, you can't help wondering what might have been, how easy it might have been. You know, there's another story in the book about a guy who finds out in his 40s that he can draw with a realistic likeness. And he swears to me, and I believe him, he never picked up a pencil and tried. Now, he's a photographer, so he has an eye, but he's got an amazing runaway career now. But in his 40s, so I always think of that, Maybe I'm a famous welder just waiting to happen. <laughs> yeah, you know, what, know. what skill or, or piece of art? My favorite art is the stuff that like started as a smear sheet for my dirty brushes. So, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. What, uh, and all the famous artists, you know, Leonardo's words were, were those, you know, I have so much to do. I can't die yet. <laughs> right, 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 right. Um, okay. I want to talk a bit about, things that became that started one way and became another thing. And I think these are really awesome stories. Um, and, and you have a quote in the book, when we act on our ideas, we bump into our own creative clarity and we bump into some stop signs. So bubble wrap didn't start as bubble wrap? No, it started as textured wallpaper. These designers were trying to make a fancy wallpaper out of two pieces of wallpaper and texture it and I guess they decided, wow, this is good to wrap our valuables in. Okay, great. Uh, Play-Doh? Play-Doh was a wallpaper cleaner, a high-strength um, cleaner to to clean wallpaper without damaging it. it. This feels like wallpaper is like generating. All I know, the- that's just two. But think about wallpaper, paper and glue, paper and glue. Those are always. Okay, okay. Uh, the Slinky? So the slinky is, I went down this rabbit hole. A guy was, an engineer was trying to make uh, something to keep cargo from moving too much on in the military. And he dropped a piece of a coil and he saw it, you know, kind of go end over end like slinkies do. And he also had a hobby of making toys. So he, he took it home and he made it. That's kind of a sad story because it got into the toy hall of fame only after he died. He tried his whole life to oh. kind of make something of it. Oh, come on. The slinky is like, oh, that's, I, I feel know. bad. He didn't really, his wife got all the uh, money. Oh, all right. Uh, <laughs> Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola was a treatment for morphine addiction, which will, Give sure us pause. Oh <laughs> a treatment for morphine addiction. Morphine addiction. So, so essentially, it, you know, it's the gateway off drug. But okay, okay. Clearly a drug. Clearly keeping you from your jitters of some kind. Uh, and the last one is Listerine on my list. Eeks. That was a <laughs> effort to cure gonorrhea. So they were trying to. Um, Find a chemical liquid to cure gonorrhea so we can just, it's getting kind of gritty at that point, right? <laughs> wow. But, but those are scientists, you know, the, yeah. the uh, and 
so if that happens in science and we hear about those stories, you know, imagine how they happen in art, in writing. Oh, gosh, authors have millions of stories of how, you know, a novel turned into the best short story or vice versa. Uh, So you've already given your uh, yes and story. So instead of doing that towards the end of the podcast, I have three more things I want to talk to you about. Okay. First is, and this is in the chapter called In Starting Shape, and you talk about the idea of cross-training. And I think this is like really important. So t- talk to us about your your view on that. And I want to dialogue on it. Well, um, you know, this kind of came from the book I was going to write saying that I never met an entrepreneur who wasn't an artist. Oh, wait, how mm. does that go? Show me an entrepreneur who isn't an artist and I'll show you an unsuccessful entrepreneur. Show me an yeah. artist who's not an entrepreneur and I'll show you a poor artist. Yeah. That um, artists and entrepreneurs uh, share more than they think and yeah. they both need to up their skills and whatever I just said. Um, and, you know, everybody who creates art, including writers, and theater people have to play the marketing game. So they have to play the business game. And that is cross-training, learning how to convene people, learning how to persuade people. All of those are things that make our art better. Um, And, you know, there's hard, you know, scientists, I can't, I can't think of another example without going the ra- down the rabbit hole of yeah. how you know right brain people have their left brain exploits and they're just different I yeah think I, 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 you know for me in terms of the the idea of cross training it's certainly in especially in the world we live in now so my my wife uh runs the first ever ba in comedy writing and performance so she's a comedy professor and she's got all these comedy majors and oh. she, she says to them like you don't know in the world the comedy world today, you don't know if you're going to be a stand-up, an improviser, a sketch artist, a writer, a producer, a showrunner. Uh, so we're going to teach you all of it. And and you will then, because it's you could be the best performer in the world. And I've seen this happen where they get, Jason Sudeikis got hired onto the writing staff at Silent Live, not into the cast. Mm. He ended up going mm. into the cast, of course, because he's a really good performer, but he's, he knew how to write. So he could do that, but he was trained that way. Um, and I think the, the way, the way the future of work is going, you know, AI robots, all that stuff are going to be able to do so many rote tasks. The stuff that they're going to need people for is the messy stuff. So I think it's never been more important than getting cross-trained than now. Yeah. And getting on both sides of the camera, getting on both sides of the audience. I mean, that perspective is what makes the art good. For sure. For sure. Um, we have a phrase that we use in improv which is start in the middle. You also say start in the middle. (laughs) Just because some people don't, you know, facing a blank page is hard. So if you think I'm starting in the middle and I'm not setting the stage for a whole thing, um, to me that, that takes the pressure off. But I think after you start enough, you realize the, the middle becomes the beginning sometimes. I mean, you know, we always find always find the headline or the title somewhere buried in the beginning. Um, I mean, and don't you think intuitively you don't have to say start in the middle anymore? Yeah, but yeah. Eventually it's just... Yeah, no, of- no, no. But I think we teach it to beginning improvisers because there's a, 
a lot of sense that they need to have a lot of exposition up top um, and, and it can get very boring. And oh. so we want you to initiate something uh, as an action has happened. So we, we just need to know where we are, what the stakes are and kind of mm-hmm. who you are in, in the other person on stage. And you can do that in a single initiation. If, if you look at this as being like, no, we're in the middle of this thing. And then, and then, mm-hmm. and then it's not going to be boring because that's the worst, right. the worst thing it could possibly be. Right. And that makes me think of another concept and that is layering. And this is on everything from every kind of art. If you know, you're, you're probably going to have to cover up some good work. You're going to have to kill your darlings. Yep. That is, that is something you only learn after you start a lot. So to the, the question of how do we learn to start better? We, we eventually after we start enough, we realize I cannot be too precious with this line, with this character, with this color. Yeah. Um, we recently had Cassie Holmes on the podcast, who's a happiness professor. And oh. one of the things that she talks about as a, a thing you can do, because the book is called Happier Hours, and it's very much about where you're putting your attention in your hours. And she said that. Um, uh, sometimes if you, um, count how many hours you have left. So she did this with regard to having a cocoa with her daughter in the morning as she was taking her to early childhood, um, uh, uh, school and recognizing that, um, when she counted how many times they had left, it was something like 20. They had already done 80%. So she was going to put her focus. And the reason I tell you this is Mm -hmm. one of the last lines in your book is quote, let's agree not to die with empty journals and unexplored ideas. Hmm. That's it, right? Yes, that's it. Because you count that you count how much time we have left. And it's like, I want to make more things. I want to be with more people, do more things and make more things. Yeah. Yeah. And be with people who are making things. That's right. Honestly, that was the impetus of the whole book is I was planning for my old age. And I said, you know, I know I'm not going to be idle. So what is something that I can teach about, study about? I, I mentor, I mentored business people mostly, but then I found out it was kind of more fun to enter to mentor artists and I realized, you know, creativity and encouraging people to start their stuff is something I can talk about for the rest of my life. Um, and a little like minutes left story. The, the guy I talk about, uh, that I sold my business to, mm-hmm. he retired after I did and he's now writing poetry and he had the concept that he told me 20 years ago of, good summers left. Like he figured he was 60 and he said, I figure we have this many good summers left. So he would plan his summers with his kids, with his grandkids. And this was before he had any grandkids. And, oh, I used to think that was, it was just horrid to think about, but it's now it's just very powerful. You can only do in the summer. I love it. That's great. The book is called Stop, Start More Than You Can Finish, A Creative Permission Slip to Unleash Your Best Ideas. Becky Blades, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. This has been so fun, Kelly. The Getting to Yes And podcast is produced by The Second City and WGN Radio. We are supported at The Second City by Mike Farinaccio and Colleen Fahey. Our show is produced by Andrew Harris at WGN. The music that you hear at the beginning and end of the podcast is by Jukebox the Ghost. If you're interested in knowing more about The Second City, you can log on to secondcity.com or email us at works at secondcity.com. 
Survive.